0: Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Feeling the 68 on a Friday afternoon. Kevin Sweeney, Brad Wachtel, Rocco Miller. We are live for a big weekend of college basketball, but a big week has passed, lots of movement on the bracket, some big time upsets, some results we did not expect. We've got to get all, get into it here for the next hour. We are locked in. Guys, how are we doing? Brad, uh, what, what are the vibes your way here on a Friday afternoon?
2: I'm doing well. It's nice to be at the end of the week, of course, because as we know, tomorrow is a huge day in college basketball. So I'm really looking forward to it. Um, and good to be on with you, Kevin.
1: Rocco, the traveling man the, the, who probably covers more ground during college basketball season than anyone. Maybe, maybe the refs. The refs may cover more ground than Rocco, but no one else. Rocco, rarely zooming in from home today. How are we feeling?
3: Feeling good, Kev. Uh, you know, enjoying this week here at home before getting on the road the next couple weeks. So um, anxious, you know, after this little break to get back out there. But in the meantime, it's been nice to settle in, take a look at the large landscape, this process, Uh, one of of the reasons I've always loved it, it gives you a a holistic view no matter what you're focused on uh, in your daily college basketball life. And as Brad said, I'm looking forward to tomorrow. I think all the work that went into today's show, we're going to have to throw away a good percentage of it because everything's going to be different when we wake up on,
1: on Monday morning. Huge slate, as everyone knows, three top 10 versus top 10 matchups on Saturday, another one on Sunday. All of those games happening in a 24-hour period. I cannot remember something like that. I'm excited. Uh, I'm sure you guys are as well. But first, we have to get into what has happened since we last spoke. Monday evening, uh, we put out our first bracket of the week on our third show. There's been some big stuff that's happened since. Florida won at Rupp. They were a bubble team. South Carolina wins on the road at Tennessee. We had that incredible game last night between Nebraska and Wisconsin, a huge comeback win for the Cornhuskers. Um each of you, like, what are your biggest takeaways here from the weekdays uh, of, this, uh, of this week? What, what, what did we learn from a bracket standpoint? I start with you, Rocco.
3: Well, I, I think the biggest stories for me were uh, three teams that, you know, really changed the trajectory of, of where we thought they were on Monday uh, significantly. So, of course, I think we would all agree South Carolina went from being a team safely in, having a really nice season with a good record. Uh, middling you know performance metrics they go and get one of the best road wins money can buy uh, by beating the team that we all had i think fifth overall at the start of the week which is tennessee probably the best road win at least as it stands today you can get in the entire sec Um, south carolina dramatically changing their uh, overall picture uh, having a rock solid resume now contending at least for me to be a protected seed in that top 16 range Um, really, really impressive for them. The second team uh, was Nebraska. Uh, Again, I was probably the only team that had them out at the start of the week. A lot of that had to do with most of their resume just being at home. So they didn't solve that problem. They just got another awesome home win. Uh, But with the abundance of evidence with those home wins for today, Nebraska is safely in. The biggest uh, risk for them not making it is not having a, a full body of work on the road. And then also Uh, The the fact that they had the 300-something ranked schedule, which is never good for a bubble team. Uh, Nebraska's now off the bubble safely, and congratulations, Huskers. And then last but not least, um, I would say the Florida win at Kentucky. Florida I was maybe the only one who had them barely in on Monday. Now they're quite solidly in after that road win. Again, they they have had zero bad losses this year. They need road wins. They need quad one wins. That was an emphatic win, Um, maybe the best win Todd Golden's had since he
1: got to Gainesville. Brad, anything you would add? I know the Memphis result was was a big one for them, another bad loss. Boise, New Mexico, another big game. Anything you saw that, that maybe Rocco missed?
2: Yeah, no, he didn't miss anything. Um, but I will say anytime at th- especially this point of the the season, if you pick up a win like that, obviously it's it you know adds some pep to your resume, but it is also increasing your projected seed by multiple seeds. You take a look at South Carolina, who you know, many of us may have had in the seven, eight, nine range before this game. They're going up multiple seeds. Uh, a team like Florida, who many of us didn't even have in the field, or maybe had in our last four in first four out, they go up. You know, one or two seeds after that huge win. Uh, Nebraska now now owns wins over Purdue uh, and Wisconsin, being the two best teams in the Big Ten. Uh, even though their most of their key wins all came at home, still big time wins. Um, And then, of course, as you mentioned, uh, Kevin, Boise State in New Mexico, winning on the road, especially in the Mountain West, especially at the pit in New Mexico, that's a heck of a win. Uh, Boise State, for me, was falling down into the last four in, first four out category before that game. And now winning that game on the road, you know, I, I always say it, but winning a game on the road against a team that is a projected at large team and a top eight seed, which is where I had New Mexico prior to that um, puts Boise State in a much safer position uh, than they were in prior to that.
1: A huge week of results already, obviously more to get to. We will talk bubble stuff here as we work our way through this show. But I do want to get and start where we usually start, which is our number one seeds. Uh, And we had one of our number one seeds on Monday in North Carolina lose to Georgia Tech. So now's the big reveal. Are the Tar Heels still on that top line? Our, 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 our changes haven't been substantial. So Carolina does stay in. That I think is probably the biggest news. Carolina, Houston, Purdue, and UConn are number one seeds. We talked about on Monday um, the, the race for that number one overall spot with Purdue and UConn um, feels as though right now both teams feel pretty good about where they would land, regardless of whether they're the number one seed. They they want the regional path, Purdue potentially playing in Indianapolis and Detroit, UConn playing in uh, Brooklyn and then Boston. Um, But guys, I I think the the question everyone wants to know the answer to, North Carolina loses to, to Georgia Tech, not a terrible team, but it's a quadrant two loss, not a great loss by any means. What went into the decision to potentially keep them on the number one line? Start with you, Brad
2: yeah sure uh so so right now north carolina i mean i think if had wisconsin beaten nebraska i think there could have been a case for wisconsin to be on that top line not sure if i would have had him there but it would have been real real close for me um but in terms of north carolina um they still you know their their best win on the season is against tennessee uh, which is a good win tennessee projected three seed for me at the moment uh i think the issue is with elevating any of the other team on the two line we're looking at arizona wisconsin and kansas you know marquette and people you can include tennessee as well those teams have been starting to mount up some losses so north carolina had a little bit of breathing room and like you mentioned losing at georgia tech while georgia tech is not a tournament tournament team um losing on the road is is, it's not the end of the world um it was it's just a q2 loss and their resume is still they're still top five in strength of record and KPI, top ten in in Ken Palm. Um, they definitely could use some more quality wins. Obviously, we'll talk about it later against their for their game this weekend. But they can use some more quality wins. They're not they're far from out of the woods of being in good shape for a one seed. They they got a ways to go, uh, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, Rocco, I think it's an interesting balance, right? Because on one hand, you have North Carolina protecting themselves by playing a a weaker conference schedule they're not as prone to take losses but they also don't have the opportunities that someone like kansas would have where they're playing more quad one games um on your side how 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 much does that raise the importance of this duke game this weekend especially the home one when they get them in chapel hill on saturday how how important is it for carolina to protect this home court and get that win for its hopes of being a a one seed on selection sunday
3: yeah, I mean, I think both Duke matchups are still in front of them, so they're both going to matter quite a bit. I think they're both clearly uh, the top two teams in the league, uh, and regardless of the rivalry and everything else, I think from a bracketology standpoint, it's their one chance to get a win against a protected seed level opponent, uh, agnostic of what their name on the front of their jersey is. So um, it will be it will be critical, of course. You don't want to take home losses, no matter who it's against. So, yeah, of course, it all matters. And then, you know, just in general, I would say. Um, North Carolina was a clear choice for me today, just based on the fact that Tennessee lost. Tennessee, I thought, was starting to make, you know, they were just there with good metrics, with four high, or sorry, with three high quad 1A wins uh, on Monday. But obviously their loss to South Carolina knocked them out of the picture, kind of made it really easy for Carolina. Now their biggest competition for that spot is Arizona. Arizona has four beautiful high quad one wins. Uh, The win at Duke's getting better. The neutral win over Alabama's getting better for Arizona. But, of course, Arizona's you know, stumbled in the Pac-12 on the road a few times, and that's keeping them on the two-seed line. So that's North Carolina's biggest competition as it stands right now. Um, the other interesting thing that I'm finding on this line before we wrap it up is I think Houston's actually getting really close to UConn uh, for that number two spot, for whatever that's worth. Um, with Houston now getting road wins at both Texas and BYU, uh, you could argue that they have a better road resume than UConn just for true road games. And then you can also start to see that Houston actually is starting to get higher quad 1A wins with three to UConn's two. Um, However, UConn still wins a lot of those comparisons uh, the rest of the way down to the board. So for today, UConn's still number two. But I think Houston's getting really close to to catching both UConn and maybe Purdue eventually.
1: Brad, this may be a hard question to answer, given that we don't know what will happen over the weekend. But UConn plays a road game against St. John's. That's a quad 1 game. Uh, Purdue plays a road game against Wisconsin, you know, who you know, potentially could be on the one line. Houston plays a, a, a road game at Kansas, another potential one seed. Are any of these teams' spot on the one line in trouble this weekend if they lose, or, or do they have enough breathing room where where this weekend doesn't derail anything on uh, on that chase for the one spot?
2: No, they they all have the three teams you mentioned: Purdue, UConn, and Houston. They can all lose this weekend, and they're still a one seed. Nothing's going to change there. You know if north carolina loses to duke you know like i said they have the weakest of the four one seed resumes you know it's it's possible uh especially if you know wisconsin is beating purdue uh then i think we really have to consider wisconsin as a one seed in that scenario um but other than that you know as rocco mentioned arizona is certainly in the mix with their strong wins they obviously won at duke um and beat alabama on a neutral court um, but for the most part, those three teams are on the one line. They're safe right now uh, for at least the next week or so.
1: UConn, Purdue, Houston, and North Carolina are number one seeds. Um, fielding the 68 brought to you by Rhythm. When we come back, bubble talk. Last four in, first four out. When we come back.
4: As you guys know by now, we've partnered
2: For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates
1: may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Fielding the 68 brought to you by Rhythm. I am Kevin Sweeney. Alongside the smart people uh, for the afternoon, Brad, Brad Wachtel, Rocco Miller. We just went over our one seeds. Now it's time to talk bubble. Uh, and we had some pretty substantial moves along that bubble. We mentioned earlier Florida's big win over Kentucky, that potentially swinging things. Memphis had a really bad loss at home against Rice. How does their standing look uh, for a, a trip to the big dance? Time to get into it. Uh, we'll start with our last four in. And, and Brad, you're going you're gonna to start us off with your final four teams in the field how does it look so far
2: okay so my last four teams in the field first we're going to start off with Michigan State uh Michigan State for me I I believe their their resume and what we think of Michigan State is is over overrated overstated whatever you, way you want to put it um now they have strong predictive metrics they have a net that's that's 23 Ken Palm that's 17 BPI that's 18. all those are really strong They just have a 48 strength of record, weak quad numbers, only two and seven against quad one opponents. Their best wins are against Baylor um, on a neutral court, and they beat Butler at home, and that's all they have. So I think they have a ton of work to do. Um, And in the Big Ten this year, you know what? You don't get many opportunities, um, but the ones that they do get, they got to take advantage um, because your predictive metrics will only take you so far. Uh, Next up, I have Washington State, who I had in earlier in the week. Uh, they, They remained in the field. Six and four against quad one and two opponents with key wins over Arizona. Boise State on a neutral court, which is now looking better after Boise State won at New Mexico. Also beat Utah and Colorado. Um, the committee loves uh, wins over the upper echelon teams in the field. So even though it was at home, it's still a win against Arizona, who's fighting to get back onto the one seed line. Um, and then, of course, I I have Butler in my field. Uh contrary to probably many people uh Butler with the top 50 strength of record key wins over Texas Tech who has played really well over the last couple weeks Boise State who we just mentioned on a neutral court uh and they won at Marquette and like I just mentioned when you beat a team that's a two seed a projected two or three seed and when you beat them on their court it matters a ton um and I and I think it it boils down to who have you beaten Um, and butler has the wins uh they need to keep getting wins but they they crack the field for me and then finally virginia which i don't particularly love metrics across the board are pretty solid they're all top 50 across the board which in most cases gets you into the field what we've seen in prior years from the committee they did beat texas a m who is slipping a little bit they beat florida on a neutral court uh who now is in my field um, so that win is definitely looking better. Uh, just 4-4 four and four against quad 1-2 and two, and only one quad 1 win. So far from safe, a loss this weekend. They could easily be out of the field, uh, and that's my, that's my last four-in.
1: How about Butler's next five games, starting tonight on the road in Omaha at Creighton? They play at Creighton tonight, at UConn on Tuesday, at home on next Saturday against Providence, home the following tuesday against marquette and then hosting creighton the following weekend so feels like a season defining here next 15 days for butler uh winners of three straight have an opportunity to, to play themselves either in or out of the field um rocco your last four in, what does it look like
3: all right yeah we'll start off with the texas longhorn so so i think texas is is a team that belongs in the field just based on what we know so far uh, what puts them a little bit at risk here is a couple of factors. One, those big wins we, re- we mentioned by Florida, by Nebraska, and by Boise State. All three of those teams leapfrogged a few teams, Texas included. So they kind of got shoved down to the first four uh, because of that. Um, not much change for them besides a loss at home to Houston, which is uh, obviously isn't a killer. Um, but when you look at their overall record, they're just six and seven in meaningful games. And I, I really don't like putting teams in the field that aren't at least 500 in meaningful games. And what I mean by that is games that are outside of Q4. So nine of Texas's wins or Q4 wins doesn't really do much for them. However, they have those nice road wins at both Oklahoma and Cincinnati. They're four and four overall as a road neutral team. And so there's just enough evidence there to kind of keep them in. But Texas definitely at risk due to some of those records in the meaningful games. Um, We move on to Seton Hall, who I had in this position Uh, on Monday. Not much change with the road win at DePaul, except for they actually improved a few performance metrics with the 36-point win. Um, When it comes down to it, there's three really fringe bubble teams. Brad just talked about Butler. uh, Providence is also in that mix. Seton Hall beat both of them on the road. So I think if you're going to only have one out of three, they're they're still the choice. Um, Of course, a mix of weird losses at home to Rutgers and neutral court USC. Uh, But uh, some of the evidence is there with the road Road win there and the home wins over Yukon Marquette and St. John's are are terrific for the Pirates. Uh, Michigan State now. Here's here's where things start getting really hairy. So Michigan State, I've had out for a while, had them in a couple weeks ago. What Michigan State needs to do is just start backfilling their resume with wins. They started to do that a little bit this week with that win over Michigan. Doesn't seem like much like for a big profile booster or a win against the field, but that's really what what a team that's two and seven against quad one needs to do. And, and the Spartans are still sitting here on this Friday at four and eight against the top two quads. So that's a, that's a pretty backwards record for a team getting in. Uh, we all understand though that the uh, performance metrics are on the team sheet. They're sitting there 22 in the net. They're an average of, you know, I think low twenties in, in the performance metrics between Ken Palm and BPI. And I think if you're in a real committee setting, the room would be torn. If you're an AD or a commissioner from a power five school, you're fighting like hell to make sure michigan state gets a spot if you're from a um uh, either a, a non-power conference let's just say you're probably fighting for more like a princeton type of team or a james madison saying this isn't fair
0: um
3: i think the room would be really divided on the spartans today um, but i think just enough power in there to get them in and then the last but not least i i had a really difficult decision on the last spot oregon picked up their third road win against the top two quadrants just last night against USC. That made them an even five and five in a way neutral games, brought their resume metrics into the low forties, which is where you'd like to see that be. And 11 and six overall against top three quads. They have a lot of evidence kind of in the middle pack, which is what PAC 12 teams have to do. They play a lot more games in that area. Um, so just enough for Oregon to get the last spot.
1: Oregon, an interesting team to track here in kind of that crowded Pac-12 bubble. You mentioned Oregon, Brad had Washington State right around that cut line. So it will be interesting to see how that middle shakes out. Uh, Let's reveal, though, our consensus last four and see where we agree, where we don't. Uh, Start with Seton Hall, uh, who uh, I I know is in both of your fields, I believe, that went over DePaul, maybe not moving any needles soon. but. Uh, an important role to serve. Washington State, Butler, uh, and Virginia are are, our last four in, uh, according to our consensus of bracketologists. Uh, Rocco, help help us out here with Virginia. I know we talked a little bit about them last week. Um, (laughs) Where do you stand on this Virginia resume? Um, They started to pick it up, starting to play a lot better but but does it does feel a little light so far right
3: it does and it's funny because on monday uh the, you know the virginia logo has two swords in it right i was the guy that came to fielding the 68 carrying both those swords ready to fight and put virginia in as my last team in now today brad's carrying those swords and i've got virginia as my first team out so nothing really changed for them they beat notre dame at home didn't really move the needle either way um, and they're just sitting there and they're very selectable due to the fact that they're kind of mid-40s in their in their uh, net profile ranking. They're low 40s in the strength of record, which which you like to see. But like you said, empty calories there at the top of the profile. They, the win over Florida is actually helping a lot now that Florida is a little bit better uh, on a neutral floor. The home Texas A&M win gives them a secondary win against the field. But in the ACC, they're just not getting many cracks at it. So when they get their Carolina and their Duke opportunities, they can really change their trajectory. Um, but I got to see them in person at home. They're a terrific home team and they're starting to win games on the road. So I think Virginia is trending in the right direction.
1: And, and, and quickly, Brad, I know I mentioned Butler a little bit when you were, uh, after, after you mentioned yours, can, can you give us the, the strong case for why they should be in the field, depending obviously what happens here in the next month?
2: I just think it's who have you beaten? And when you take a look at every single bubble team that we've discussed, whether it's Michigan State, Washington State, Virginia, anybody else that will discuss who's first four out as well. Does anybody have a better win than at Marquette? Uh, and that's why they're in my field. Uh, that's the bottom line.
1: Well, some of those teams that do not have those wins could be in our first four out, which we have to reveal now. Uh, I'm gonna start with Rocco. Uh, who did you leave out? Who are the tough cuts today?
3: Yeah, so it starts with Virginia, as I just said. And I think, you know, I had a really difficult time with Virginia and Oregon. I I think I spent a good 20 minutes just on those two side by side, looking at all the factors. And I think, you know, when I get into that predicament over the years and this year is no different, next year will be no different. It always comes down to what those committee chairmen tell us uh, in those interviews. Who did you play? How did you do? uh, And where did you play the game? And um, Oregon's just got a little bit more substance. Like I said, those those three road wins uh in the top two quadrants is two more than Virginia has although Virginia has an additional win over the f- projected field in Oregon it was a very difficult decision but Virginia's right there next in line is Washington State my biggest beef with them is the same reason why teams like Clemson got left out last year why Wake Forest got left out two years ago being 309th in strength of schedule you got to leave no doubt at this level of selection that you belong, and I don't think the Cougars have done that. Very nice home wins over Arizona and Utah. Obviously, the Boise uh, neutral court win is aging very well, and you know the better Colorado plays over time will actually help them too because they beat them. And I like the fact that they've got a little ingredients of USC and Stanford uh, for road wins. Um, the problem, like I said, it's it's that overall strength of schedule. A lot of meaningless games uh, in Pullman, and uh, when it comes down to it, but I think if Washington State just can, keeps playing well makes leaves no doubt they'll actually have a pretty good opportunity to move up the seed list quickly due to the way that they're performing and some of the you know the middle of the resume is nice um next in line i have butler who brad talked about uh very well i agree with all those points um i think for me it's just more than the marquette win the boise state and the texas tech wins are also great texas tech was at home boise was also a neutral similar to what washington state uh has as well Um, But I I look at that four and seven record in the top two quadrants. It is about your entire body of work, but I think they're right there. And I mean, if I had to take another team, I would, even though I have Washington State higher in my order, I'd probably take Butler above them, uh, as as interesting as that sounds. Uh, And then last but not least, Gonzaga's right on the cusp. Um, They just don't have that marquee win. They're 0-4 against teams that are in the projected field. Their resume metrics keep getting better and better, but they're still only 60th. Um, they have a huge game with st mary's tomorrow we'll talk about that a little later Um, we'll see if that's enough to put them in on monday if they assuming they can take care of business in the kennel Um, but right now they're you know obviously their performance tells you they're they're a tournament team but you got to have some evidence to back it up and it's just still not there
1: obviously a massive game there not just for gonzaga not just for st mary's but for the wcc as a whole and they're path to potentially you know two bids as it has been traditionally here the last several years um brad let's go through your first four out who who missed the cut for you
2: okay so my first team out was a team i had in um last projection uh and they got jumped by a team like florida who is actually not in the last four in they're a little bit safer than than uh than these teams obviously uh but Providence got knocked out of the field for me so they're my first team out and what the committee is going to do is they're going to just dissect Providence and very very they to be very very critical of them they lost Bryce Hopkins uh at the end of December who have they beaten with Bryce Hopkins they beat Wisconsin they beat Marquette uh and they they beat Butler with him since he's been injured they won at Seton Hall who did not have Qadari- Richmond uh that game which you get credit for that win there's no question it's hard to win road games without a doubt other than that they don't have the top quality win uh so they're gonna need to prove themselves the rest of the way and and beat some teams that are at the top part of this league in order to get some some real consideration for a bid and we saw this last year in in a maybe on on a smaller scale uh with Rutgers and Mawat Mag when he got injured uh the last 11 games of the season Rutgers was a different team they hadn't beaten anybody and look what the committee did even though they had the strong wins prior to his injury they ended up deciding to keep Rutgers out because they felt like that current team did not resemble an NCAA tournament team Uh, so that's one thing from Providence to uh be careful of uh second team up Memphis Tigers Uh, they've really just taken a nosedive the last number of weeks uh, probably had them as high as a three seed a few weeks ago. You play in a league like the league they play in, in, the American, and you know you got them, you got Florida Atlantic, you got a couple other good teams, but you also got some teams that are known as quad four teams, uh, and they lost to Rice this week at home, which is a quad four loss. Memphis's numbers—they they've really dropped. Uh, their net is now seventy-seven. Uh, their strength of record is 58, Kempom is 72. Those are numbers that do not resemble a team that deserves to be in the NCAA tournament. When the season began, they got some, we thought they were high quality wins to start the year, but a lot of those wins that they ended up getting are not as good as we once thought they were. Uh, they still own wins against at Texas A&M and they beat Virginia and Clemson. Okay, good wins, but when you have those quad four losses, it's a, it's a significant problem. That they're going to regret for the rest of the season. Uh, Next up, I have Villanova, who has the upper echelon wins, but their overall record is 11 and 10. And the committee is not putting a team in that is only one game over 500. Obviously, the season isn't over right now, but we're projecting it as if the season were to end today. Uh, So Villanova would be out of the field, even though they own strong wins over North Carolina, projected one seed on a neutral court, Texas Tech. A projected five or six seed for many on a neutral court and at creighton which is a projected three seed so they just need wins they don't need to be- need to beat anybody of note they just need to build up wins uh to get back into the field and then my final team is colorado who is a team from the pac-12 that has strong predictive metrics uh strike the record isn't particularly great in the upper 50s for me they just need to have more substance they need to beat some top tier teams uh, in that league, like in Arizona, who I know they play soon um, and they play at Utah uh, this weekend. So they they got to get those wins in order to kind of separate themselves from other bubble teams. If they can get those high quality wins, they will catapult themselves into the field based on the rest of their uh, predictive and uh, predictive metrics.
1: Well, I think we could probably spend an entire hour just on Brad's first four out. I mean, those are those are maybe four of the most interesting resumes that there are. Uh, but unfortunately, we do have to get to break. But first, let's revere, reveal, excuse me, our consensus first four out, where we stand. Uh, starting with Providence, uh, obviously the Friars, uh, an interesting resume with, with Bryce Hopkins's injury. Oregon, a team that Rocco made a push for, couldn't quite break into the field. Colorado, uh, who, who we just mentioned, and then Memphis, whose free fall continues. Uh, towards the cut line we will talk more about memphis again we could spend so much time on them. we will talk about them in our fourth segment so stay tuned for that uh, we do have to get to break when we come back conference breakdowns big 10 and sec or excuse me big 10 of acc uh, as we head into the weekend
4: there is nothing in sports better than the heart of the college basketball season which is why i need to tell you guys about our partners over at Rhythm. If you're into sports betting, you need Rhythm, the place for data-backed props and picks. For those that are unfamiliar, Rhythm, spelled R-I-T-H-M-M, is the go-to mobile app for player props and game picks. Backed by AI predictive models, Rhythm helps you make smarter and faster betting decisions across all sports, but particularly college hoops, where there are as many as 150 games a day during conference play many of which have softer lines at BetMGM than you'll find in the NFL or the NBA. With Rhythm, you get data-backed picks for every Division One game every day. Users get free picks daily with the ability to upgrade to unlimited access. And for those of you already using modeling, you can build custom sports betting models within the Rhythm app itself. I am a Rhythm user, and I found that I've been a better better when I focus on lines where my gut, And Rhythm's modeling are aligned. When I think UConn can cover on the road against Butler and Rhythm backs that up, we fire. But Rhythm also helps lead you to plays that you didn't know you needed to make. Like, for example, when the data says bet the over in UMass Lowell versus New Hampshire because you have a 61% edge on that line, you bet the over and you bink. So if you want to increase your edge and win more bets, go to the link in the description below and download Rhythm Today. That's R-I-T-H-M-M, the place for data-backed props and picks.
1: This is Fielding the 68, Fielding the 68 Bracketology Show, uh, brought to you by Rhythm. I am Kevin Sweeney, joined by Brad Wachtel. Rocco Miller gearing you up for a big weekend in college hoops. Our bubble has been broken down. Uh, our top seeds have been revealed. We're gonna continue with our conference breakdowns we've been doing uh, as we start to get a sense for for, for the greater bracketology landscape. The Selection Sunday does creep closer and closer. Uh, we're gonna start with the Big 10. Uh, one of the teams that we talked about on the bubble a little bit is Michigan State. And talk about a team that has had a whirlwind of the season starting with the james madison loss that no longer looks so bad some early losses you know zero to start in the big 10 four and five overall they beat baylor everything's great again michigan state's cruising they're rolling but haven't quite separated themselves uh from that bubble cut line some road losses at northwestern at illinois at wisconsin and now we walk into February, and, and Michigan State is very much near the cut line. They were a 10 seed in Monday's bracket reveal. Uh, we will reveal our full bracket here later today uh, on all the 68 the social channels. So check that out. But uh, they were in our uh, r- right around the cut line, truly. I mean, not a lot separating Michigan State from being in or out. Of. And maybe most notably, they don't have as many opportunities as you would normally expect, Brad. Only two quad one games here left on the schedule. Give us, like, like how, how much does that impact what Michigan State has to do? I know, obviously, they have some some big wins. Their metrics are great. Is it just stacked total wins, or does the lack of quad one wins, or excuse me, lack of quad one opportunities really hurt them?
2: It definitely hurts them. Um, and, and typically, in a league like the Big Ten, which we've seen in past years, there's always so many opportunities um michigan state schedule in conference play has been front loaded like you said they have two uh q1 games left against illinois at purdue um, i'll tell you what if they lose both of those games they're in big trouble uh you got to beat illinois at home you got to take care of business at home um you know obviously if you want at purdue that changes everything uh we've seen teams from high major conferences Get at large bids with only three quadrant one wins. It's very possible because the rest of their metrics are are really strong. But I think what they what it will come down to is if they only win one more Q one game, um, and let's say they happen to drop another game that they're they're not supposed to they're not supposed to lose. Um, what's going to happen is you're going to have to start seeing how other bubble teams do. Um, so it's really hard to predict what their outcome is going to be, whether or not they can get into the field because we don't know what other teams around the country uh, that are on the bubble are going to do. So for their sake, take care of business at home, keep winning games. Uh, We don't expect them to win at Purdue, but you want to be a tournament team, go win that game. Um, So yeah, they got to keep winning games and the lack of opportunities for me and their profile. It's a problem.
1: Rocco on the, you know, Elsewhere in the Big Ten, uh, I know we've talked Nebraska being a pretty home-centric resume. Northwestern also in a similar boat. Beat Purdue, beat Illinois, beat Dayton, all at home. Um, help us understand a little bit why that could be damaging. Look, obviously both those teams have incredible wins. They're in the field today because of that. But uh, do they need to get that signature road win to feel secure on Selection Sunday?
3: I think to feel secure, certainly, yeah, I think. I think like I said earlier on Nebraska's side, you know, they're just one in five in true road games. Kansas State at the time seemed great, but Kansas State's starting to slip. If their season for some reason keeps falling apart, you know, you're going to want to see a little bit more road evidence that Nebraska can get it done away from home. Uh, Nebraska is also in a precarious situation with the 323rd ranked strength of schedule. Um, so the, anywhere near the cut line, the committee has all the reason in the world to leave them out. Um, now, again, we're, we're all enthralled with the Purdue, Wisconsin, Michigan State, Northwestern home wins. Those are terrific. They're going to carry the water for a while. But, yeah, you want to start incrementally be, building that up with road wins, even if it's just against middle-of-the-pack teams in the league. Yeah, show you can go on the road and beat your Iowas, your Penn States, et cetera. So um, that will be the true test over time for the Huskers. On the, on the Northwestern end of things, obviously showing they're playing – like a tournament team. They match up so well with Purdue, almost beat them twice, went to overtime twice. Uh, but you got to play everybody else on your schedule as well. And uh, just two and four road games for the Wildcats. And I think um, those two wins are, are Penn State, which lands in Q2. That helps. The DePaul road win doesn't mean a whole lot because that's still quad four even on the road, uh, unfortunately, for Northwestern. And overall, you want to start to see, especially if you're going to be a solid top eight seed like we have them, um, you won't, you're going to want to start to see that get at least close to 500 as a road team. You don't have to win every road game, but just show us that you can do some things on the road um, th- just to solidify your case. Uh, it would it, be a nice way to just button up the resume, tighten things up, and you're ready to go to the tournament. And I think both those teams still have work to do on that end
1: of things. And, and Brad, just to put a bow on things in the Big Ten, is there another team outside of the main core group, Purdue, Wisconsin, Illinois, Northwestern Nebraska, Michigan State, that has a realistic shot to dance? Obviously, there's plenty of time, right? But does a Maryland, and Indiana, uh, you know, is, is Ohio State out of the mix? Like, where do we stand? Is, is Iowa like, – like, are any of those realistic bubble teams at the moment?
2: At the moment, no. Um, I don't think any of them are relatively close to the bubble. Um, I would say a team that has definitely been playing better of late, um, that could make a run, that the expectations heading into this season were much higher than the way they've played, is a team like Maryland. Um, and they can start this weekend. They play at Michigan State. Um, and like we've mentioned before, when you road games like that against Michigan State team, who is top 25 in the net, um, that's a, that would go down as a high Q1 win or a Q1A win, as some people say. Uh, that changes a lot. Uh, so they still have opportunities. They play at Michigan State. They play at Wisconsin, um, two critical games that could turn their season around. Um, and they still get to play Illinois and Nebraska at home. So they have a lot of work to do. Uh, but by winning at Illinois a couple weeks ago, and then you know even beating an Iowa team who is not on the bubble at the moment, but it's still a, definitely a quality win, that changed their entire season around. It gives them a shot. Uh, but they had still have a ton of work to do. But Maryland is a team that that I'm keeping my eye on as a team that could potentially uh, become that next level team uh, to have a a chance to uh, to sniff the field.
1: All right, well, we're going to do a reverse conference realignment move and and go from Maryland into the ACC uh, and start with Duke. Duke is a Duke is an interesting team. They've lost once in the last two months, and it was a game. Uh, at home against Pittsburgh where they were without, without two starters, right? And, and I think there's been a lot of narrative about Duke, how, how good is this team really, uh, et cetera. But I think one of the things I love about this show is that it's not about narrative. It's not about, like, our opinions. It's the resumes in front of us. And I look at Duke's resume, I think it's a pretty darn good resume. Rocco, like, like how high can this Duke team go with a strong finish in February?
3: Yeah, I mean, they could with two games with North Carolina left, it's all about opportunities in this world of uh, bracket forecasting. And so they have two North Carolina games right in front of them, one at the end of the season, uh, which will be at home. Obviously, the one coming up tomorrow is in Chapel Hill. So theoretically, you sweep North Carolina. They also have four moderately difficult road tests coming up uh, between Florida State, Wake Forest, Miami, NC State. That's kind of the ACC in a nutshell. You got all these teams between like 60 and 80, Uh, but you beat those teams on the road some of them are sorted in quad one some are sorted in quad 2a none of them might be tournament teams but that starts to add fat to your resume and if you're trying to get up to the one line at some point you want to have all that fat um so if, if for whatever reason duke can sweep all those road games highly unlikely we know how hard it is to win on the road in any league um that would be a super impressive resume and at the same time by beating north carolina twice you're knocking off a current number one seed to knock them off the pedestal um so i think if duke was able to somehow run the table the sky's the limit they could they could probably play their way up to the one line with the amount of opportunities that are still there now is that realistic that's up to you to decide Um, but yeah the way it stands today they've ascended to either a three or four seed depending on where you have them i have them as my best number four seed and one of the things that's really standing out for them is they have a six and two away road neutral record which is Uh, a very high mark in this area or or for any area really it's one of the best ones in the country and um 11 and four overall in the top three quads and four and one in their five toughest games so they're rising to the occasion in their biggest
1: games we'll see if that will carry forward against north carolina outside of duke and carolina uh, a lot of uncertainty in the acc right and um, you know saturday at the masters is moving day uh, Saturday, First Saturday in February in the ACC, it feels like moving weak uh, in the bubble for the ACC. Virginia goes to Clemson. Wake Forest hosts Syracuse. Virginia Tech and Miami, both those teams duking it out, trying to stick in the bubble conversation. Brad, how important is, is this weekend for those teams uh, as they try to position themselves as, as potential tournament teams?
2: Yeah, every game is important. There's no question about it. Um, I think this weekend's very important, but ultimately what we're looking at, opportunities, as we keep saying. So you take a look at a team like Wake Forest, who you know, a lot of people had them in the field maybe a couple weeks ago, and they've, they've tailed off. Um, they've lost three of the last four games. But I look at their schedule, and I see that they still have a game at Duke. They still have at Virginia. They still have at Virginia Tech, and they still get to play Clemson. They also play Duke at home. So they have a ton of opportunities to, uh, to move the needle, to uh, really elevate their resume and get into a much better position. So when I look at it from that point of view, it's like, okay, we have a chance to make a move. So I think Wake Forest is a team we need to keep an eye on because they have plenty of, of games that could really uh, boost their, their profile. Um, and then we take a look at a team like Virginia Tech, who I actually had in last week, um, got knocked out. They lost a, an opportunity to Duke. At home, uh, it's a, it's a missed opportunity. And when you play in the ACC, there aren't nearly as many opportunities as there are maybe in a league like the Big Twelve or you know maybe even like the Big Ten, which aren't even that many opportunities. But the ACC is just we know how they've been and they just top to bottom. You know you got a couple teams at the top that are that have a potential to 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 be in a Final Four, but other than that, it's it's not much there. And when you take a look at Virginia Tech's re, uh, remaining schedule uh yeah they play at Miami and Notre Dame next winning on the road is never easy so you got to take care of business in those games they get at North Carolina they get Virginia at home they get Wake Forest at home other than that there's nothing that's really helping them improve uh their resume now for Virginia Tech what benefits them is that they do have some quality wins already in Boise State on a neutral site in Iowa State on a neutral site and beating Clemson so they don't necessarily need that many opportunities they just need to win games so if they can now beat the teams that they're supposed to beat they will definitely be there in my opinion at the very end um but in the ACC you always have that chance of losing a game to let's say a Louisville or a team at a team that's at the bottom of the league and a loss like that does so much damage to your resume uh, that they can't afford so if I'm those teams you got to beat the teams you're supposed to beat. If you're Wake Forest, take care of beating the top-tier teams from, from the ACC, and they can both find themselves much closer, if not in the field, um, a few weeks down the line.
1: Plenty of landmines at that bottom of the ACC schedule. Got to be careful. Uh, all right, we will go to break. When we come back, we dish on the Memphisian. How bad a shape are the Tigers in? as well as some mid-majors you want to know and whether they have a chance in that large
4: big news guys i am thrilled to announce that we have partnered with autograph a company founded by the goat himself tom brady the autograph fandom app gives you access to the best college hoops content fan contests and exclusive rewards like discounted tickets all for doing the things that diehard fans like you already do following your favorite team in the news, and listening to podcasts just like this one. When Tom, and yes, I am calling him Tom, we're on a first name basis these days, co-founded Autograph, he had one mission in mind, change the fan experience for the better. It works like this. You get all of your college hoops content you want in one place. You get articles from your favorite writers, pods from your favorite hosts, Contests from your favorite creators all on the feeds and the sites that you already enjoy. But instead of having to go to all these different places, it all comes to you in one spot. The Autograph Fandom Map. But here's the best part. The more content that you consume, the higher you rank in the app. As you consider the level up in status on the app, you can unlock unique rewards curated exclusively for you. So download the free autograph app in the app store and use the referral code F68, that's F68, or tap in at the link in the description below or in the podcast app of your choosing to start earning points for doing something as normal as listening to this very podcast. It really is that simple.
2: It's only a kick.
1: Welcome back to Fielding the 68 on the Field of 68. Uh, Kevin Sweeney, Brad Wachtel, Rocco Miller, appreciate you all getting your Friday evening started with us talking some bracketology. We've covered a lot of ground today, folks, but still more to get to uh, in these final 15 minutes or so. And uh, where I want to start are the mid-majors, right? And, and Thursday nights are oftentimes really good nights of mid-major basketball. Grand Canyon played an overtime game uh, against Seattle. That was really fun to watch. Those are teams that like, when I'm on Twitter, all I see are people, how do we get Grand Canyon in the tournament? How do we get Indiana State's offense in the tournament? How do we get Princeton, Sweet Sixteen team into the tournament? But the resumes are always challenging for these teams, right? They don't have the number of opportunities there's all sorts of scheduling inequities. Again, another topic we could spend a whole show on. But how realistic is it for some of these teams from one bid leagues to potentially steal a bid as at large as should they slip up in their conference tournament? Start with you, Rocco. How does the cut line look for for some of these uh, feisty mid majors that everyone wants to see in their bracket?
3: I think that's the trickiest question because. You know, when we do these bracket forecasts, we're forecasting based on what we know today and all the evidence that's been compounded. However, we still have runway to get through. And the only way this even becomes a question is if they actually lose in their conference tournament. So as soon as you lose in a league, well, maybe not in the Missouri Valley, but in in like the Ivy or in the WAC for Grand Canyon and Princeton's case, you're automatically going to lose quite a bit of credentials that you've already gained in resume score or in your overall profile. And your good needs to outweigh the bad in all cases. And it becomes increasingly difficult to include a team once they've taken that last loss. Um, and so that's where it gets really tricky because as it stands today, I think all three of those, Indiana State, Princeton, and Grand Canyon are inside the cut line. Uh, and they are for me pretty, pretty clearly. Um, but it, again, you gotta account for that next loss. And it always de- depends on who it's against. And of course, it's, in that example, it's gonna be a neutral court. Outside of those uh, two factors, you also have to get through the rest of the regular season. And these, you know, I respect the heck out of the Ivy, the Missouri Valley, and even um, even the WAC. Some of the toughest travel in the country is in the WAC. So the chances of any of these three running the table are definitely less than 50%. And so there's that too. So I think at the end of the day, if you're being realistic about it, it's, the odds are stacked against all three of them to do it. However, we've all been impressed by the way these teams play. We all think these teams have a chance to advance in the NCAA tournament. So you also can't put it past them. But I just think so many of these cases, we, we get to the finish line, it becomes a big bummer because a loss or two happens and it's kind of like out the window.
1: Brad, quickly, your side of it. Do you generally agree that the, the case is somewhat pessimistic?
2: I think it's definitely pessimistic, especially for a team like Princeton. Uh who beginning of the season they started off strong got a root, neutral neutral road win against Rutgers people thought Rutgers might have been a borderline NCAA tournament team at the start of the season they've fallen off they're currently in second to last place in the Big Ten um and they don't have any opportunities uh, and and right now Princeton is just yes they got a 33 strength of record um but their quadrant numbers are not there and they don't have the opportunities to build upon that so I don't see it happening for them um Indiana State is the same I mean they're three and three they do have three q1 and two wins um but they don't have any wins over projected at large teams in Grand Canyon's case however I think there's a I think there's a chance they did beat San Diego State uh they do have a strength of record currently it's in the top 30. now obviously we got to calculate in another loss down the line where does that put them if they only lose one more game, of course. Uh, I think they are in position, uh, even though Indiana State has the best net of the three teams, I think Grand Canyon is actually in the position with the best chance um, of those three teams. But like Rocco said, I think it's going to be very difficult for all of them uh, to get in that large bid. All
1: right, I've got two teams that I really want to discuss here in the final several minutes of the show, two teams that – very rarely get discussed in the field of 68. These are going to be shockers, Memphis and St. John's. I know know we never talk about Penny Hardaway, never talk about Rick Pitino, uh, but I think they're two of the most interesting teams kind of around the bubble, right? And, and and Rocco, I'll start with you with Memphis. I mean, this, this collapse here over the last two weeks, a quad four home loss to Rice, the, the latest example, it really jeopardizes where they stand. And in a league where, the opportunities aren't as plentiful. It feels to me, at least, like they've got some serious work to do to make up for what they've done over the last two weeks.
3: Yeah, as it stands today, there's there's 10 games to go. And the hard part for Memphis is the body works all the same, regardless of when the games occurred. Uh, but Memphis, the most impressive part of Memphis's profile is they've played four games against tournament level opponents. And they're 3-1 in those games, which is just amazing when you're comparing them to bubble teams. Um, however, the bad now is they have four losses that fall into two B, quad two B or worse. And of course the the big torpedo there is the home loss to Rice that just happened. Uh, but a home loss to South Florida's in the third quadrant. And then of course you got the losses to UAB and Tulane on top of that. So now, you know what I would consider four uh, subpar losses compared to three great wins, the bad is outweighing the good. Um, now, Memphis has 10 games to go. I think four of them can move the needle if they win them. Obviously, the two Florida Atlantic games, which I think Memphis, if, if, if they don't completely fall apart, they'll be up for those games. So maybe a good result will happen in, in the games against the Owls. Uh, they have the road games in Dallas, which will also be pretty critical for, at least from a quadrant standpoint, playing at SMU and North Texas. Um, the other ones, they kind of have to hold serve, and that's been the biggest challenge. They, they haven't been able to hold serve in this league. Um, and so I think, I think with with what we know right now about how Memphis is playing and where they're going, it's hard to project them to get back in it, but they've done a lot of good. It's just right now the bad's outweighing it. So the opportunities are still there. Uh, the the story, the, the storybook's not shut yet,
1: but that's where it stands. Should be an interesting February around Memphis. Uh, Brad, St. John's a few weeks ago was 12 and four, four and one in the Big East. Cruising along, I think everyone felt like they had turned a corner, that Rick Pitino's team was going to be not just in the tournament, but a threat in the NCAA tournament. Since then, they've lost four or five. None of those losses individually look bad, right? At Creighton, at Seton Hall, Home Marquette, at Xavier. Those are all good teams. It happens. But when they happen in a row like this, it it calls things into question. Like like for you, how secure is St. John's spot on the field right now?
2: Yeah, I don't think they're very secure. Um, I have them as a they're borderline 9-10 seed at the moment, and that's not safe at all. Uh, with the way their resume stands now, they're 0-4 against high Quadrant 1 teams, so they don't have that big-time win. They have an opportunity this weekend to get one uh, against UConn, uh, but they don't have that yet, and they're just 2-6 and six against Quadrant 1 imp- opponents, which is not a good percentage to have. Um, their best win right now is Utah on a neutral court, who right now is probably like a 7, 8, 9 seed, uh, depending on who you ask, uh, which is a good win. Uh, and they won at Villanova, who many of us don't even have in the field right now. Uh, so they have a lot of work to do. They have opportunities. They do get to play at UConn, they play at Marquette, they're at Providence, they get Seton Hall, they get Creighton at home, at Butler. So there, there's opportunities out there. They gotta, get, they gotta start compiling some more wins um, to really boost their resume. Their, re- their metrics are, are pretty solid, which keeps them above the uh, the bubble right now, the last four in right now. Uh, but you got to start picking up some some quality wins. It seems like they've, like you mentioned, they've lost some games here and there. It's not bad losses, but every time you lose a game, other teams are winning games and they're bypassing you. Uh, so you got to keep up with the Joneses, and um, they can start tomorrow against UConn.
1: Four of St. John's final ten Big East games are against DePaul and Georgetown. That's a good thing if you want to stack regular wins. It's not a good thing if you want to stack quality wins. So, uh, an interesting stretch ahead for Rick Pitino's club, starting tomorrow against UConn. That's one of the biggest games of the weekend. But we, you know, everyone could pick a different game here, and we'd still be without you know all the big games mentioned. So let's wrap it up with the games you are most looking forward to this weekend probably from a bracket standpoint, but I'm sure you can pitch and hold it however you want. I, I know I'm really pumped about that Wisconsin-Purdue game. It'll be up there in Madison uh, on Sunday. I think that game has huge implications, and, and as Brad said, maybe a potential one seed for Wisconsin if they could find a way to win it. Uh, the two of you guys, what, what are you most looking forward to? You start with Brad.
2: Yeah, I'd say for, for me, number one, Houston at Kansas. I'm just curious to see how Houston plays at one of these – Big-time atmospheres, I know they won at Texas, which is a big atmosphere, of course, but Texas is not one of the top teams in the league. How are they going to fare at Kansas? I think this is like this could be a, a true coming-out party for Houston, even though we know they've had success over the years. They've, they're they always winning 30-plus games, it seems, every single year, but they've never had that type of schedule where they've had to go uh, into an environment like Fog Allen Fieldhouse. How are they going to fare? I'm very, very curious. Um, If they can come out of that with a a victory, that would be massive. And then conversely, if Kansas wins that game, suddenly Kansas and Houston are starting to get a little bit closer to each other. Kansas creeps a little bit closer to that one line, and things begin to get interesting. So I'm really excited about that game. Uh, The other game I would say is Auburn at Ole Miss. Curious about that game because, again, Auburn, who currently has a five seed – still have yet to pick up a quad one win they're currently 0 three against quad one opponents this is another opportunity they have a lot of them in february can they start piling up quad one wins and really moving getting some movement uh to their seed and and really moving up north um because they haven't been able to do that and they've had a few opportunities and it's time for them to start beating some quality teams and they could start that off uh, by winning at ole miss this weekend
1: Oh, sorry, Rocco, your you're shot? You got games you like?
3: I got lots of games I like, Sweeney. Um, so, yeah, I would say uh, I got to start with the game. I, with this game is game I covered last year in Terre Haute, Indiana. Indiana State hosting Drake. Uh, Drake right now a top 50 net team. So, again, Indiana State's trying to build as much evidence as they possibly can, given the fact that they're in the Valley. Um, and they lost the first matchup at Drake. So this is a chance – You certainly don't want to get swept by Drake if you're a Sycamore at-large profile at the end of the year. Uh, And Drake themselves, if they can get this road win and sweep Indiana State, and then they don't win Arch Madness, they're going to get a little bit more interesting if they can do it. Um, The game's been sold out for over a week. It's going to be rocking. Um, Terrific basketball to be be played in the Valley, as always. Um, Certainly can't wait for that game. Um, Out here in the West Coast, course, we have a monster game mentioned it a little bit earlier with saint mary's going to gonzaga historically gonzaga has been very difficult for uh on saint mary's when it's in the kennel they'll need to carry that tradition forward because um, they need that win in a big way before coming down to visit saint mary's when the season ends uh, and that can also make them kind of interesting perhaps to select when it comes monday morning obviously we have a lot of chaos to, to sort through after this weekend concludes Um, And then I would also say, you know, Florida's got a big uh, nether road game to follow up the win at Rupp going to Texas A&M. Texas A&M has got a mix of results. They certainly don't want to take another home loss. They would creep closer to the bubble if they did. If Florida loses this, they might still be safe as a tournament team, uh, but they want to keep that momentum going that they built. So I think it's a crossroads game
1: for the Gators and the Aggies. It's going to be an awesome weekend of all. We are pumped for it. Uh, Check out the full bracket over on the Field of 68 social handles, and stay tuned all weekend. We're going to have a ton of great coverage, as always. After dark is is your home for for the big recaps every night, Uh, but I'm certainly pumped to uh, sit down, uh, watch some ball, and uh, see how things shake out. We'll be back with the Fielding the 68 show on Monday evening, same time, same place. Uh, For Brad and Rocco, I'm Kevin Sweeney, Appreciate you all joining us and uh, we will see you all next week.